Well, hello, everyone. My name is Ben Griffin, and I am honored to bring today's message. Welcome to everybody across all of Westwood's campuses and online. I serve alongside of the Near Ministry at Westwood, and here's where we're going today. Continuing the Character Builds series, and Joel has done such a great job of walking us through Nehemiah. So I'm going to review where we've been. And then I'm going to talk about where we're going. So here's where we've been up to this point in the book of Nehemiah. First week, first episode was prayer. You have to do more than prayer, pray, but don't do anything until you pray. Second was planning is a prayer plus equation. Third week was motivation. We are better together when we are in it together. And then last week was organization. Motivation with organization accelerates completion. And if you have not caught all of these, I highly recommend catching these episodes online. And, uh, and Pastor Joel's teaching on these is fantastic. Today, what we're talking about in Nehemiah chapter 4 is facing opposition. And the key phrase here is perseverance leads to progress. Now, facing opposition. Man, I don't know about you. I do not like facing opposition. Uh, at the earlier service today in the chapel, I actually asked, who likes facing opposition? And actually two people raised their hands. Like, we do. I'm like, you know, there are those people that are like, just bring it on. But most of us, no. We would much prefer not to bring it on. We don't want opposition. We like when things are peaceful. We don't prefer hardship or that challenge. And today, what we're going to talk about is facing opposition when it comes from outside forces. And frankly, that's the easiest opposition. When, when if opposition comes from outside a family system or outside of an organization, like we huddle together. Internal opposition, internal conflict, that's a whole nother challenge. And Pastor Zach gets to talk about that next week with Nehemiah chapter five. So have fun with that, Zach. So here we are today, Nehemiah chapter four, facing opposition. And man, as we think about our lives, and I'd like us to do a little bit of self-reflection here. I'd like you to think about the seasons of your life and the times that you've faced opposition and hardship. And, uh, and we're going to reflect on that. There's this thing called the, the Hudson Institute created this circle that talks about the seasons of life that we go through. And, and here it is. And we kind of cycle through these is how they talk about it. So I'm going to ask you a few questions about this, but let me give context. So the seasons, they say we all cycle, cycle through. One is go for it. And the image they have here is like of Superman flying, like da da da, -da going for it. We could do this. And then there's the, immediately following this, interestingly enough, in the cycle is the doldrums. It's a down cycle. It's the place where we face opposition, hardship. We get slowed down and it, it, can, be, it can be a painful season. The third one is cocooning. And cocooning is more introspective, more reflective, uh, kind of thinking about where it goes next. And then when you have clarity, move into getting ready. Like, okay, I know something's coming. I'm starting to get ready and then pressing into it. And we kind of cycle through these, sometimes fast, sometimes slow. So having used this a number of times with different groups, I've literally put tape on the floor, four quadrants, and I've asked the room, and I'm going to ask you to think about this, but not to actually do this, but I've asked the room to go to the quadrant, move to the quadrant that they most want to be in life right now. So what quadrant do you think most people want to be in? What? Yeah, super. Who doesn't want Superman? That, that, yeah, that's, let's go for it, right? But then I asked this question, and I want you to think about your own life here too. Which quadrant 
If you reflect on your life, have you grown in the most? Have you seen God show up the most and have your faith grow the most? And guess which quadrant everybody goes to for that one? Yeah, doldrum. Some, some will say cocooning, some will kind of go there, but most people say, you know, it was when I was in the doldrums, in the hardest, facing opposition and seeing God faithful, seeing God there, like that was actually a great growth time. So I, I start here on purpose because all of us have seasons of hardship. We're going to hit them. We're going to go through them. And, and I just want you to know it's okay to not be okay. And that God works in those times, sometimes in tremendous ways. And I don't want you to stay there. I don't want you to be stuck there. But let's be clear, if you're in that season now, there's also opportunity there, opportunity to grow, opportunity to see God at work. Uh, there's um, this thing I heard re- recently of the difference between cattle and buffalo. So, so picture this scene. A storm is coming over the mountains in Montana into the plain, and uh, you've, got a, you've got a herd of cattle. A herd of cattle sees the storm, they, they hear the thunder and the, the lightning. They get terrified of it, so they try and run away from it. But in running away from it, they actually end up being in the storm longer because they're running with the storm. Buffalo turn their noses to the storm. They face it head on and they run into it. And in so doing, they experience less time in the storm. Now I hear that and I'm like, I want to be a buffalo. Don't you? Like, I want to be the type of person who presses in, knows to it, I'm persevering, and that, that's where I'm going to, I'm going forward, and I'm going to face it head on. Like, I, it's like, it's that movie type of motivation, you know, every great, like, sports movie, or, you know, like, the Rocky bo- boxing movies, or the Creed movies, there's that moment where the music kicks in, and they're training, and they're getting ready for something, and you just, like, it's just so motivated, like, the eye of the tiger moment. Yes, yes, you feel it? Yes, and we're sitting there on our couch and we're thinking, yes, I, I feel so motivated. I want to hang from the rafters in Siberia and do sit-ups, right? I want to run through the waist-deep snow with a log on my back. I can, I can do anything. I, I want to accomplish. I can do this. And then some of us, most of us have had the same experience in a spiritual sense. Maybe in church or that song or earlier today, maybe in worship, that song just hit. Maybe like this one. Yep. When you really like it, you bite your bottom lip. Yes. Yes, you ever have that moment in worship and you're like, Lord, yes, all of me is yours. All of my life. I want everything I am to serve. Like the, the movie moment, the worship moment where you're just like, man, Lord, I, I cannot, I, I, everything is yours. I give it to you and I cannot wait to tomorrow when I start living my life in a new and profound way. And did you catch that? Tomorrow. I mean, how many of us are sitting there with our, our popcorn like, yes, sit-ups in Siberia. I can't wait. Tomorrow I'm accomplishing all my goals. I want us to be today people, not tomorrow people. Amen to that? I want us to be today people, not tomorrow people. 
Because this is what happens when we're, when we're tomorrow people. We're like, you know, I'm going to start this awesome diet tomorrow, exercise routine like I've never, been. I sat down, I wrote it out, I'm ready to go, I prepared, here we go. And so today, since it starts tomorrow, I might as well eat as poorly as possible. <laughs> right, don't we do that to ourselves? And then when tomorrow comes, guess what you're thinking? You're like, you know, I said I was going to start on Monday, but I actually meant next Monday. So I got another week of preparing with a bowl of ice cream. I have a friend who says, nothing feels better in the moment. All right, sorry, nothing feels better than exercising and eating right. But he says, nothing feels better in the moment than doing the exact opposite. Like today us is, is the moment is always at war with the future. And today I want to do future you a favor. I want to do future us a favor. I want to challenge us to be today people in the things that matter. To be today people in the important things, in the faithful things, in the God-honoring things, in the things that really make a difference. I want us to have that eye of a tiger moment for the things that matter and actually move. So, Moving in to our text today, which is Nehemiah chapter four. Nehemiah has, has hit some opposition and he started with a really cushy job. Pastor Joel's walked through all of this really well with us where, where he, um, he was the cupbearer, so he was a wine taster and then, and then he got called to go back to his homeland and, and lead everybody to rebuild the wall and anybody who's in leadership maybe can resonate with this quote like, leadership, a new opportunity to disappoint every day. <laughs> right? And so Nehemiah is hitting that. He's like, hey, I think he went from Superman, we can do this to like, man, we just keep hitting these struggles and we've got to persevere and press through. So here we are, Nehemiah chapter four, and he hits some opposition. When Sambalat heard what we were rebuilding, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed and he ridiculed, highlight that word, the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they, will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, so there's a whole group here. Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down the wall of stones. So what's happening here? Uh, Nehemiah faces two types of opposition in this passage. And the first type of opposition is ridicule. The first type of opposition that Nehemiah faces is ridicule. Now you might be thinking like ridicule, like they're just words. Maybe sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me. But I, let me just speak from experience. Words can be weaponized, right? Words build worlds and can destroy people. What we mock today is what we persecute tomorrow. Let me pause and say that again. What we mock today is what we persecute tomorrow. And don't we have to stop and ask, what is it in our culture that is, that is at the end of every punchline. What's being mocked? You need to be really, really aware of that. What we mock today is what we persecute tomorrow. And here's why ridicule is so hard because ridicule, mocking, what it does is that it, it says to someone else they are lower than. It, it is language that dehumanizes another person. 
That's why it's so hard to receive. And that has been used as a weapon and a tool in so many different ways. You, you know the Germans? Uh, they, actually, they actually had a term. Like you go, how could they do such atrocious things to people? Well, they had a term. Uh, the term was, um, let me make sure I get it right, Untermenschen, which was subhuman. They said other people were less than, therefore they could be treated less than. But it, didn't, it doesn't start with just that kind of level. It starts with mocking or mockery or even what we think sometimes is innocent. Uh, I, I remember growing up, I have a German arm to the family and kind of in the shadow of World War II, I remember hearing Polak jokes growing up. Like what are, what are those, or as a whole family of jokes, what are those doing? They're saying a whole people group are less than, putting them down. Listen to how we use language today in dehumanizing ways. It's not a baby in the womb, it's a fetus. Or even uh, some things that maybe people are getting used to and don't think are that big of a deal. But when somebody says the phrase like, okay, boomer, like what are they saying? They're, they're, they're saying to a whole group, a whole generation, a less than statement. Or calling somebody a Karen. Uh, to, it's similar, similar, similar. And, I'm, and when I say that, I know somebody was like, that's my name. Which I always think that when I hear that, like what, what are we saying with that term? Those are, we're stepping down, we're dehumanizing, we're, we're saying some people are less than others. Ridicule is dangerous, words are dangerous. Now, uh, there's a, a pastor who is a friend of mine and a partner with Westwood named Ebenezer Andreas and he says this, he says, distance creates distortion. Distance creates distortion. And, and isn't that what language like that does, mocking does? It creates a distance and in distortion, it creates a false picture and a negative picture of others. It puts down. Now, I, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus, the gospel, is the exact opposite of this. What does Jesus do? He, the, the churchy word is he incarnates. He becomes like us. He walks among us. He lays down his life for us. He builds proximity instead of distance. Now, that changes everything. Uh, so so here's, here's an example of how that proximity shifts. Uh, I would guess if I were to ask uh, everybody listening to this right now, do you care about the homeless in Minnesota? I bet every hand, just about every hand would go up in here and say, yeah, I care about the homeless. But if I asked, but do you know the homeless? Many of us would be like, well, from a distance, I do. Now, uh, another partner, uh, pastor, uh, who's uh, preparing, his name's Chris Bellinger, he's preparing to start a church next year that is literally going to be taking church to the tent cities, the, the homeless encampment tent cities across the city, across the Twin Cities. He, he, he says this, now he, he, by the way, every day is out there in those communities serving and caring for people and engaging them already. And he grew up on the combination of a reservation and the streets of, of Minneapolis. And he says when he sees the homeless, when he's with people experiencing homeless, what he says is, I see my aunties and my brothers and my cousins, I see myself. And in that, he sees them. Breaking down distortion, coming into proximity, and actually seeing them. Now, kind of back up a step, I said that ridicule was the first opposition that they experienced so here's the question. What do we do in response to ridicule? 
What, what did they do in response to ridicule? Well, here, here's the first thing that, that Nehemiah does or did. Are we gonna have the same issue? It didn't pop up. All right. He surrendered it to God in prayer. For some reason, this particular slide is surrendered to the ether and does not want to show up. <laughs> but he surrendered it to God in prayer. That's the first thing that Nehemiah does is he's, he's receiving ridicule and he goes, he goes, God, I'm giving this to you. Now, to be very clear, Nehemiah did not do this perfectly. In fact, Nehemiah's prayer is basically like, God, God, would you do something about this? And, and if you would just bring the weight of your judgment upon them, that would be great. Like, whoa. Now, and, and maybe that feels harsh, but some of y'all Vikings fans, maybe you feel that a little bit. Like after, after the Giants won, some people might have been thinking, you know, God, if you would just, just smite those Giants from New York. I mean, just a little smiting, but just let them experience some, some pain. Like, I love that the Bible shows the reality of people. Like, it doesn't just show perfect. Nehemiah has a prayer, but he's also got a prayer with an edge to it. There's reality in that. And I think Jesus is gonna show us a different, different angle on that. But the point that he nails is surrendering it to God in prayer. It's in black ink here. Surrendered it to God in prayer. That's the first thing he did. And this is hugely important, because hear me, one of the greatest dangers of ridicule and mockery is if we start to believe and internalize those things into ourselves. Do you hear me? When sometimes our own self-talk is worse than we would ever talk to another person. And if you are the recipient of, of mockery or ridicule and that starts to become the thing that echoes in your own heart and soul, that is a dangerous thing. Don't, instead, surrender it to God and, and, and hear the things that he says about who you are and let those th be the things that echo in your heart. So I'm gonna teach you a tool to do that. Uh, that tool is, is called a breath prayer. Maybe you've heard this before, but a breath prayer is a prayer that is so simple and repeated so regularly in your very soul and heart that it's as natural as breathing. Like you're just, you're, it's how you can pray consistently and constantly. And, and one of the ways to do a breath prayer is to connect it literally to your breath. Breathe in, breathe out. So would you do that with me? Breathe in, breathe out. That's good. Don't fall asleep, but breathe in, breathe out. Now, one of the simplest way to do a breath prayer is when you're breathing in, have a you are statement to who God is. God, you are and then when you breathe out, have an I am statement that's, a, that's in the shadow of that. So here's, here's some examples. God, you are my good shepherd. I am content. Lord, you are all powerful. I am trusting. Lord, you are a good father. I am your child. You are all knowing. I am listening. You are merciful. I am forgiven. Some of that, that last one, some of us probably really need to hear that. And know in the shadow of who God is, you are. Let those words, that truth, echo in your very soul, not the ridicule or words of others. You are because He is. So, reviewing here, first, He surrendered it to God in prayer. 
Then the second thing they did is this. They did the next faithful thing. So the people of Israel, they, like some, some of us get paralyzed when we experience hardship or opposition. We just stop. We don't know what to do. We, we get paralyzed. But he, they, didn't get, they, they didn't stop. Instead, they did the next faithful thing. For them, it was continue building the wall with all of their heart. The ridicule was not going to stop them from doing the thing they knew they were called to do. They pressed into it with renewed vigor and more energy. They did the next faithful thing. And I don't know where you're at, but sometimes that is the hardest thing. To just do the next faithful thing. And, and that's all it is, the next faithful thing. Sometimes we, we want to know what's the big picture? What's the next thing? Like God's word says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It doesn't say floodlight, lamp. A lamp in the darkness shows you your next step. I want to be like, Lord, un unveil everything. And instead he's like, just here's your next step. Take that and then ask the same question again. God, now from here, where's my next faithful step? I follow you and I trust you. All right, so there are two types of opposition that, ne that Nehemiah encountered. The first one, as we talked about, was ridicule. When that didn't work, they didn't stop, they kept moving forward, then came aggression. And so following then, the people around began to say, well, we are gonna make, we are gonna, we are gonna attack, physically attack the people of Israel was their plan. Come against them with aggression. Now here is Nehemiah's response and it's the same pattern again. He surrendered it to God and we can see it in Nehemiah 4. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. So don't look at them. Instead, remember, look to God. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fights for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. It says, remember who the Lord is. So physical aggression is coming. Now, this is really hard. Can I just say this? When you receive ridicule, what do you want to do in response? Well, I want to shut them down. If you're going to mock me, I'm going to mock you more. If you're going to be an aggressor to me, I'm going to show you, I'm, I'm going to aggress back. I don't think that's a word, but you might be feeling it, thinking it. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to push harder. I'm going to punch first to not even give you the chance. That's not what Nehemiah does. Instead, they, he says, just remember the Lord. They step back. He trusts the Lord and then they do again the next faithful thing. They keep pressing on with the work ahead of them. Now, Jesus, Jesus' teaching takes us to a whole nother level with this. I want to import that. So the first thing that we talked about was surrender to God in prayer. The second thing was they did the next faithful thing. Then Jesus tells us to go the extra mile. Now let me break this down for you. Um, in fact, I'll do it with the scripture. Matthew says this. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and this is Jesus speaking, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is a really hard teaching. He's literally saying, because here's the context of the extra mile. Rome was the oppressive group that had, that, uh, was over, that, that had taken over the nation of Israel. That's, that's the context of this. And there was a law 
that if a Roman soldier asked you to carry their stuff for them, their whatever it might be, their armor, whatever they had, you by law had to carry it for up to one mile. By law. And Jesus says, when your oppressor oppresses you, it, it asks you to carry it for one mile, he says, you go ahead and carry it for two. Wow. Now, some of you might be saying, wait, are you telling us we have to stay in places of oppression and abuse? That is not what I'm saying. I mean, the people, Nehemiah, the people of Israel, they, they trusted it to God. They did the next faithful thing, but they were also vigilant. They stood guard and they were on guard. I'm not telling you to stay in that abusive place, but I am telling you that your heart is at risk if you don't have an extra mile mentality. Here's what I mean by this. If you're being mocked, we want to mock back. If you're being, if you're being, um, if somebody's aggress aggressive to you, you want to be aggressive back. But you know what? You know what happens when you're aggressive and mocking in return? Or even proactively? You become the very thing that you're warring against. Isn't this a pattern that we see over and over again? That abusers, those who are abused become abusers. That hurting people keep hurting people. But hear this. The extra mile is saying forgiven people forgive people. To break the pattern. That is, so just think back on, on my family line. My great-great-grandmother was a very entrepreneurial uh, woman. She, uh, she had a patent, uh, something about a box handle and how to fold it together. P pretty amazing. Uh, she also ran a brothel. Awkward laughter, I know. <laughs> like, I, we really don't know how to respond to that one. Very entrepreneurial. And as you can imagine, uh, the brothel was not a great place for her kids to grow up. And so my grandfather, um, he grew up in a really bad situation and he grew up to be a very abusive alcoholic. So much so that my dad and, and his siblings, like they literally don't even talk about their childhood. It, it, it's hard. But, but my dad and his siblings, that generation, for most of them, that pattern was changed. Like they, they flipped the script and instead of continuing to pass on, the abused becomes an abuser, they broke the pattern. And how do you break that pattern? You surrender it to God. You do the next faithful thing, even when it's hard. You press in. And you go the extra mile. And maybe, maybe you're, you're here thinking, yes, I hear that. I know that. I, I think I need that. And you're going, man, tomorrow, I can't wait to put that into practice. Because that's what we do. That's hard. That's inconvenient. That's challenging. Like, how could Jesus ask us to do that? Listen, Jesus did that. While we were yet sinning, he laid down his life for us. He broke the pattern of sin for us so we don't have to follow the pattern of sin laid, be, laid in front of us. We do not have to be whatever those things in our lives have done, whatever hardship, whatever abuse cycle, that does not need to define us. Jesus resets the story. So, so I want to bring it together and, and kind of close it with this, uh, a, a way, that this, way that this can echo into our lives a little bit. Uh, one of my favorite words in the Bible is this word parakaleo in Greek. And the first time I encountered it, and, I, and I've used this illustration here before, but it bears repeating. Parakaleo, the first time I hit it, I was reading through the book of Hebrews in two different translations. And one said, do not neglect to warn each other. And another said, don't neglect to encourage one another. And I'm like, what word means to encourage and to warn? 
And it's the word parakaleo, which literally translates as to come alongside, to be in this together, to walk through life with. See, when, when ridicule, aggression, all those things happen, what do we do? We, we put people as enemies. The Bible says that, like, our enemy is not flesh and blood. Like, look, look at them different. See this different. So, so there's a difference between being in this together and being being a, a distance, a distance distorts. So here's my favorite way to kind of break down this, this word for us. Uh, have you ever been driving down the road and, and had a little distance? There's another person in another car who's a bad driver. Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, it was on my way to church this morning. <laughs> and then, uh, and when that happens, by the way, do you pull in next to them because you want to see them? Who is that? Or do, you want, or do you pull in away from them because you're like, I just don't want to even be near that person. I, 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 I don't need to know, just fine. All right, so, so there's a difference when you see somebody from a distance in a car, it's really easy to be accusatory. Man, they are terrible drivers. But man, to be in the vehicle with a bad driver, when you're parakaleo in the same space, it like it, it's a little bit different. Like suddenly I understand what it is to warn and encourage. Like parents who have ever had to uh, go through the dri- learning to drive experience with teenagers, you, you know what I'm talking about here, right? Being in the car with a bad driver. Like I know what it is to encourage and to warn. Like, like honey, honey, you're doing great. Like, like we, we really try to stay within the lines on the road, but you're doing fantastic. Yep. <laughs> encourage but there's also warn like like the the invisible break if you like I just hit that gently sometimes not so gently like and then you start saying it break 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 and then you know why that handles there this is for parents in this moment like break right like honey we try not to hit pedestrians just as a general rule right like to warn and encourage. But what is that? That's to be in proximity. And, and by the way, to be in proximity means to actually see the good and the bad of other people. Here's the great challenge. Most of us are terrified of real proximity because it means people will see the real us. To, to know the gospel of Jesus and to share that with others is actually to be known, the good and the bad, and to be loved Isn't that what we all want? I mean, isn't that the best marriage? Isn't that the best family relationship? It's like, I know you at your worst and I know you at your best and I love you completely. Isn't that the gospel? There's nothing hidden from Jesus. Like he knows us all at our worst and he loves us completely. Now hear this. There's another word for, there's a word for the Holy Spirit we heard in the New Testament all the time. It's the word paraclete. It's from the same parakaleo. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside and encourages us. So when we're doing that in proximity with each other, even when it's hard, we're reflecting the work of the Holy Spirit. Conversely, the, the name of Satan, literally translated, is the accuser. And so when we're doing the work of the accuser towards other people or even in our own hearts towards ourselves, our own hearts towards ourselves. What we're doing is echoing the words of Satan. I don't know about you, but I want to be the type of person who echoes the words of Jesus, who, who does and loves others the way that Jesus lives and loves. And I want to see that happen today, not tomorrow. 
So I'm praying, praying for us all that we would have a buffalo mentality, that we would persevere through, face in, that we would, that when we face hardship, let me just review real quick. There's two types of opposition that we saw in the passage, ridicule and aggression, and this is the response. Surrender it to God in prayer. Do the next faithful thing and then go the extra mile. Parakaleo, we're in this together. I see you even at your worst and I show you love in return. The way of Jesus. The way of Jesus. So we're gonna draw everything together here with a time of communion, which, which uh, we just heard about a little bit ago. And, and just think about what communion is. It's a moment to be able to surrender to God. It's a sitting alongside of each other. We're in this together, encouraging each other. And it is recognizing the extra mile that Jesus has gone for us. So I'm gonna close this in prayer. I'm gonna ask you to stay seated for prayer today instead of standing. And we're gonna do a breath prayer. So if you would, put your hands out and just pray with me. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are holy. Lord, you are merciful and kind and gracious. And Lord, in the shadow of that, we are a forgiven, content people. And I pray, I pray that you would break the patterns in our lives, that we would be today people for the things that matter, that your spirit would be at work in us, pressing us forward. That what would echo in our hearts are your words, your truth, your grace. And may we echo that out to others. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.